I'd like to talk first of all just a little bit about what is going on and what are we going to need to get through the challenging times ahead. Because they are going to be challenging. <clears throat> you know, to understand what is going on, you're familiar with the scriptures in Matthew 24, where it talks about a whole sequence of events. And the implication is these things are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as we move through the years to come. Jesus' disciples asked him, what is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How are we going to know we're getting close to the end of the age? Now, you'll see stuff on the Internet and the news that you know, people have been predicting the end of the world for, for centuries, for thousands of years, and it's never happened. You know, so don't worry about it. Don't get too upset. But Jesus did say, watch, because you're going to see things begin to happen. He talks about... Uh, Religious deception. It's interesting. The Pope has become very active in Europe. Things are happening over there. If he gets miraculous powers, things are really going to begin to move. But we're, <clears throat> we're warned and told to watch for religious deception. People are going to be deceived. There's going to be signs and wonders done by a powerful religious leader. It talks about <clears throat> wars and rumors of wars difficulties, violence, these things are going to begin to happen. Nations rising against nations, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and so on. These are described in Revelation chapter 6 as the four horsemen. And that we are to watch these things, but also warn and explain to the world what is coming and what these things mean. I'd like to look at some of the prophecies and promises back in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, because here we find even more specific things and also reasons why these things are going to happen. <clears throat> Beginning first in Leviticus chapter 26, you know, in, in essence, this was the covenant that God made with Israel. If you obey me, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, there will be serious consequences. You know, that covenant is still in force in that sense, in a physical way. And we are going to reap the punishments of God because we've turned our back on God. You know, also in the news this week, the state of Connecticut became the third state in America to approve gay marriages. You know, apparently they didn't learn anything from uh, the California decision where they approved gay marriages. They've got fires all over the place. They're now, you know, facing bankruptcy. People don't seem to learn. But basically in Leviticus 26, God told the ancient Israelites, if you obey me, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, there's going to be consequences. Notice in verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. You know, just last year, we didn't have very much water here. And Atlanta was looking at, what, about 60 days or 30 days before they were going to begin to run out of water over there. A city of over a million people. These things are happening today. If you walk in my statutes, you're going to be blessed. In uh, <clears throat> verse 14, it says, If you do not obey me, if you don't observe all these commandments... If you despise my statutes, 
You just don't pay any attention to them. And people talk about today, well, you know, the Bible is just a, a bunch of myths. It's just ideas that people have come up with. This is the way people are looking at the Bible in some cases today, in many cases. If you do not obey me, do not observe all the commandments. You despise my statutes. If your soul abhors my judgments, I will do this to you, verse 16. I will appoint terror over you and wasting and disease and fever. <clears throat> You're going to be defeated by your enemies, verse 17. Those that hate you will rule over you. During the last eight years or so, the United States has become the object of hatred around the world. And people are probably just looking for the time whenever they can take over and bump the Americans off the, the perch, so to speak. Verse 18, if after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. And it talks about this a couple of times down through Leviticus 26, of seven times more, seven times more. In other words, ratcheting up the problems. <clears throat> you know, after Mr. <clears throat> Ames' sermon that he gave um, on atonement, I was thinking about some things. You know, September 11th, and a terrorist attack occurred in 2001. You add seven years to that, you come 2008, September, October and the stock market falls apart. You know, things appear to be moving in a direction. And we shouldn't miss these things, because these are big worldwide things that the whole world is coming to see and understand. And eventually, the world is going to be asking, why? What, what's with the Americans? What is with the Americans? They're just going down and down and down. The Bible explains why. God is saying here, if you do not obey me, and you don't observe these commandments. <clears throat> you know, you approve gay marriages and you do all these other things. And you're guided by greed. We're going to have to pay the piper. <clears throat> and you can read down through the rest of these verses. It talks about in verse 26, I'm going to cut off your supply of bread. In other words, I'm going to disrupt your food supplies. <clears throat> And he talks about seven times more he's going to do these things. Your cities are going to be laid waste in verse 31. <clears throat> verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations <clears throat> and draw out a sword after you and you shall be desolate. So these are the things that are coming. <clears throat> we go to... Uh, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is a parallel chapter. You might ask yourself, you know, why is God repeating these things? Well, the blessings and cursings spelled out in Leviticus 26 were given to the generation of the Israelites that came out of Egypt. <clears throat> they did not listen to God. They rebelled against God. Most of them died in the wilderness. Then in Deuteronomy 28... This is a new generation, the next generation coming along. They were just about to go into the promised land. And God repeated these blessings and cursings to a new generation. God doesn't change. He keeps these very consistent. And he told this generation the same thing. <clears throat> Chapter 28, verse 1. It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments. Where God said, 
you know, these gay marriages and things like that are an abomination. These things are terrible. It's total perversion. And yet today we tolerate these things. Oh, you can't make a judgment. You can't say that's bad. What gives you the right of saying these things? No, it's a totally perverted lifestyle. God said these things are terrible. We are to carefully observe all his commandments, which I command you today, <clears throat> that the Lord God will set you on high, or set you high above all the nations of the world. You know, for those of you that have had a chance to travel around the world last 20, 30, 40 years, America is a different place. America is a different place. Just go across the border. You know, many of you lived in Southern California for a number of years. You just had to drive across the border to Tijuana, and you were in a totally different world. You know, when I was in Europe living in both Ireland and England and flying into uh, East Africa, places like that, you, know, you come back and you want to kiss the ground <laughs> in Ireland or England. I mean, you just look down from the plane and you realize, wow, what a different place. It's green and it's clean and the stoplights work and the faucets work and the toilets work. <laughs> it's a totally different world, a totally different world. It's no wonder that people want to come here from wherever because they're better off here, regardless of what they're doing. God said, if you obey me, <clears throat> and God was also honoring the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'll set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And we have been there. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of your God. But down in verse, <clears throat> let's just notice one other, there's another scripture here I was wanting. Yeah, in verse 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure and the heavens to give rain on your land in its season and to bless you with the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now, today, America is the biggest debtor nation in the world. We're borrowing from others. And the Bible says, Eventually, the borrower is going to be servant to the lender. We're going to be caught. We're going to be caught short. But God made a promise. You will not borrow from others. You will lend to others as long as you obey me. Verse 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You are going to be the head. And it's been America and Britain, basically, that have dominated the last 200 years. American century. This has been the case. But these things are going to change as we see. Verse 15. Again, this chapter is explaining what is happening today, what we're seeing happen right before our eyes. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. There was a cartoon in the paper talking about all the shootings here in Charlotte. And the cartoon, I think, today was the two guys were sitting on a park bench, and one says to the other one, I hear there's an ammunition shortage in Charlotte. In other words, there's so much shooting. See, these are cartoons, but they're not funny because they're real. 
they're real. <clears throat> Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall be in the, in the country. Cursed will be the basket and your needing and so on. Um, verse 25, I will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You should go out against them uh, <clears throat> one way and flee seven ways. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. You know, people are beginning to say around the world, especially in financial circles, <laughs> this whole mess started in America. This is their fault. This is their fault with their casino capitalism. In other words, you're betting on this and you're betting on that. and uh, They don't like what they see. There's another interesting comment in the Internet here not too long ago. Had a big had a picture of this big bull a metal bowl that's out in front of the stock exchange. And it made the comment, Moses destroyed the golden calf the Israelites worshipped. Wall Street resurrected it. Wall Street resurrected this big calf. It's out in front of the stock exchange in New York. I was talking with one of our elders down in Florida yesterday. And he said, have you been watching? It's probably not going to work, but... <laughs> Uh, tell you what, let, let's let's hold off on that. It's not a good place to sit it here. <clears throat> Thank you, anyways. <clears throat> a little bit of scotch would have worked better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but talking with uh, <clears throat> one of our elders in Florida the other day, works in the financial area. He said, "Have you been watching the carnage today?" This was yesterday. The carnage on Wall Street as things were happening. A news report said Black Friday markets brace for worst and cry for help. And things are happening in the world. And God said these things would happen. These curses would come. <clears throat> Down in verse 44. <clears throat> says, the alien who is among you will rise higher and higher above you. Again, we've got a lot of foreign people buying up property in America. This is what's happening today. <clears throat> the alien who is among you will rise higher and higher above you and shall come, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. And he shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. You know, America is not used to functioning in a world like that. Americans are not used to functioning in a world like that. You know, I think the closest I've ever come to that was a visit to Haiti a number of years ago when Papa Doc Duvalier was the dictator down there. And uh, I was with uh, <clears throat> one of our elders there at that time. And we walked through the uh, building that he had built as a tomb for himself. It was really an underground bunker. <laughs> and they had some history of Haiti there. But, you know, our minister was a very capable person. But, you know, I noticed his demeanor totally changed when we walked into that, uh, that building that was basically staffed by Duvalier's uh, goons. But we walked in there, and he became very humble. He said, yes, sir, to this girl who <laughs> was there. At the front desk, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I noticed he was just—he was walking on eggshells, so he did not offend this young lady. And she just kind of looked at me like, 
who are you? What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm a tourist from America. So? I mean, I just, you, you <laughs> it was a very different feeling. A very different feeling. But as God says here, you, talking about the Israelites, you are going to be the tail. And these other people are going to be the head. This is what is coming. This is what is coming. <clears throat> There's some very powerful promises here. It talks about your gates are going to, you're going to be besieged in your gates. And we've talked about over the years how God has given Israel the gates of her enemies. But in verse 52, it says, They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down. This is what we're looking at in the years just ahead. You know, what exactly is going to happen over the next several weeks or several months? You know, we don't know. But, you know, we could come back from the feast to a totally different world. We could come back from the feast to a totally different world. You know, they're talking about a financial meltdown. You know, uh, <clears throat> financial ministers are meeting in Washington. They're talking about the federal government getting involved with, with, with private banks. This is unprecedented, unprecedented in our history. Ideas are floating around of even nationalizing the banks. It would this become a, will this become a push to a world currency? We'll have to see. What are the British going to do? I was talking with a person just yesterday and said, you know, we could see the end of the British pound in the next month or so. And then the Brits are going to have to decide, do they throw in with the dollar or do they throw in with the euro? There was an interesting article yesterday in the Daily Mail. This is a, a paper in London written by Christopher Booker. Now, Booker has been an outspoken critic of uh, the EU. He writes in London. Uh, nobody wants to be in his column because he's very uh, articulate. Uh, when he goes after somebody, he really nails them. Uh, <clears throat> but the title of his column is The Financial Crisis Could Be the Euro's Death Knell and Even the End of the Shambolic EU. Let me just read just a little bit of this. Um, the very moment when Europe's banking system is teetering on the edge of collapse and national economies are in free fall, we might perhaps have expected the EU finally to live up to its most grandiose pretensions as the government of Europe. Yet what have we seen? by way of Europe's response to what is undoubtedly the most testing crisis in its history. A few perfunctory fine words and empty gestures and then national leaders flapping off like so many headless chickens <laughs> to pursue their national interests. We've got to take care of our own countries first. The truth is that this massive banking crisis has exposed the hollowness, the impotence, and the hypocrisy of the European Union like nothing before in its history. This present emergency is the first real ordeal that the euro, that supposed symbol of European economic unity, has had to face as a major international currency. Yet without central united government to give it proper political clout, it has seemed strangely irrelevant to a financial meltdown that has seen all 13 countries which use it more concerned about their own national economies than the supranational super currency. You know, whether that happens or not, we'll have to see. 
Revelation 18 talks about the merchants of the earth are going to rejoice because they're tied into some sort of government in Europe. Will somebody step forward and kind of unite the Europeans or will the Germans basically say, we've had enough, <laughs> we will show you how to run things and we will do it our way. We we'll have to see. The German financial minister made a comment uh, about a month ago. Uh, the title of the article here says, U.S. losing financial superpower status, Germany says. German finance minister Peter Steinbrook said the U.S. will lose its position as the world's undisputed financial superpower and called for a ban on speculative short selling to help restore the uh, global economy. Steinbrook, in a speech on the financial market crisis to lawmakers in Berlin today, set out an eight-point plan urging greater regulation and larger capital reserves for banks. He championed the German banking system over its U.S. counterpart, dismissing the Anglo-Saxon model as having an exaggerated fixation on returns. All they're concerned about is profits. The long-term effects of the crisis are impossible to gauge, Steinbrook said. One thing seems probable to me, he said. The U.S. will lose its status as the superpower of, global, of the global financial system. The global financial system will become multipolar. A day or two ago, there was also an article about Germany and Russia discussing a new alliance. I think the French head is saying that every time the Germans make a deal with the Russians, they wind up in Paris. <laughs> You know, we're going to have to see. We're living in some very sobering times. What I want to cover next is what do we do as Christians? What do we, what do, we do as members of God's church in financially or in troubled times? <clears throat> and we're heading off to the feast and the world is coming apart, it seems like. The question is, what's it going to be like when we get home? Will it, be, will it still be here? Well, we've got a job to do. Let's notice a couple things that are more positive. If we turn to Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> God makes a promise <clears throat> to his people. In Romans 8, 28, this is something you might want to copy and put up on your refrigerator or on the mirror in the bathroom where you can look at it every day. Paul makes this statement to Christians. He says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, if we love God, we're going to be keeping his commandments. All things work to the good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We have been called, brethren, according to the purpose of God, as we will see. Down in verse 31. <clears throat> What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have been called according to the purpose of God. You have been called to become part of the first fruits, to reign with Jesus Christ, to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. We have a job to do. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, Paul is writing here to the church of Corinth. He says, for you see your calling, brethren. 
Uh, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And many people think you're stupid for believing in the Bible, believing in the promises of God. And yet the Bible says something very different. God is calling a group of people to prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ to warn this world. You know, we've been called to be lights and examples to this world. Mr. Ames mentioned that in the announcements. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus said, we're to be lights to the world, to let our light shine, to be good examples. And during times of trials and tribulations, to be positive, to be focused, realizing the Bible says, yes, things are going to get worse. They're going to get pretty bad. But after that, they're going to get good. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, about the coming kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus Christ and the saints on this earth to bring peace to this earth. This is why we're here. This is what our hope is. You know, our hope is not in the stock market. <laughs> or if it is, you got your hopes in the wrong place. Our hopes are not in the next presidential candidate, whoever that's going to be, is elected. They're not going to solve the problems. They're going to wrestle with them. Our hope is not in the United Nations, a talking shop. Our hope is in the coming kingdom of God. When Jesus Christ returns to this earth and actually intervenes and takes control, not to central banks, not the Federal Reserve, but Jesus Christ. But we're to be lights, to be positive, to be focused, to live a godly way of life. You know, when things get bad, people are going to scramble. Their focus is going to be on themselves. And we've got to rise above that. Where our focus is on God and being a Christian and being, you know, lights and examples to the world. Let's notice another aspect of our, our calling and our mission, Matthew chapter 10. And we could go to a number of different chapters on this. And where I'm coming from is we've got a job to do. You know, things may come apart, they may get difficult, but we've got to stay focused on our mission because that's going to be one of the keys to being protected by God. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, <clears throat> beginning in verse 6, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You need to know who they are and where they are. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead freely as you have received. Freely give. In other words, make your message free of charge. I was on the Internet the other day looking up some things, and I noticed they had a booklet entitled uh, <clears throat> The Bible, Fact or Fiction. It was available from Amazon.com for $4. <laughs> so somebody's selling one of our booklets. Yeah, the thrift store sounds better. <laughs> you know, part of our job is making the truth available free of charge. And that's what we have been commissioned to do. In Matthew 24, it talks about watching and warning and making this information available, explaining to the world what is happening, why it's happening, what's coming. The bad news that's immediately ahead and the good news of what's coming beyond that which gives us our hope and our sense of purpose and meaning. But let's notice a couple of scriptures in Matthew 24 <clears> that again talk about this mission. 
admonitions for us today. We can't quit. We can't throw in the towel just if things get difficult. And verse 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. We've got a job to do. We need to be praying that God would enable the work to continue on in the direction he wants it to go and to provide the wherewithal to do that and that God would protect the jobs of his people so that we can have an income flow to make the truth available. These are things we can pray about. Notice also in verse 13, it says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. I think we're going to learn what it means to endure to the end before it's all over. And we're not used to uh, being deprived in America. You know, there were fights at gas pumps a week or two ago because people weren't getting the amount of gas that they wanted or somebody got in front of them. I remember the same type of things happened a number of years ago whenever we had a gas shortage and we were living in California at that time and people were fighting at gas pumps. See, we can't stop being Christians whenever things get difficult. We've still got to live a certain way of life. We're going to have to endure to the end. You might just think and go back and read through the book of Exodus. The Israelites were in Egypt. They were told they were going to leave Egypt. But a series of plagues came on Egypt. And the first three plagues came upon the Israelites. And they had to endure through those things. And whenever the water turned to blood for at least seven days, they had to be ready for that. They had to endure through that. Might not be a bad idea to have some extra water at home. You know, these are things we can prepare to do. Again, I'm not talking about panicking. It's just, just being wise. If something happens to our water supply or something happens to whatever. But they had to endure through this period of time when the water turned to blood. And all these frogs appeared hopping around your house and into your bed and into the bathtub. And, <laughs> and then they all died and smelled. <laughs> the Israelites had the privilege of experiencing that. And then all the dust turned to lights, and you started scratching all over the place. And the Israelites had to endure that. But then, the next seven plagues, God began to draw a line. And the land of Goshen was spared from these things. Now, we will probably have to go through some things before God actually does intervene and actually does set his people aside and set them apart. So we should be preparing mentally and spiritually for these things. But God does promise protection to his people. Let's look quickly at uh, Revelation chapter 3. And again, that promise is is conditional. Revelation chapter 3, the promises to the Philadelphia church. Let's start in verse 10. It says, "Because Because you have kept my command to persevere. A persevere doing what? We've been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. To cry aloud and spare not, show Israel their sins. Because you have 
You have kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. The whole world. What's happening today is coming on the whole world. They're talking about the collapse of the international financial system. You know, Iceland went belly up, bankrupt. And yet, just a couple of years ago, they're saying one of the best places in the world to live was in Iceland. Things change very quickly. But he said, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one takes your crown. Let's look at one other promise in Revelation 12. <clears throat> Again, we'll break into the thought here. But in verse 16, But the earth helped the woman, that is the church, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, went, after, uh, went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments. People that are left behind in that sense. Sure, they keep the commandments of God, but for a reason, they were not taken to a place of safety. You know, some people make fun of that, but I think uh, this is going to become an element of faith one of these days. And not just something to argue about and, and play games with. You know, if it turns out to be Petra, it's going to be kind of dry. And it's going to be warm. Uh, there are water supplies there. Uh, there are some hotels outside the valley. Uh, if we've got three and a half years there, we may build some things inside the valley. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, Barbados would be nicer. <laughs> but, you know, if we're, if we're all in our own little hole someplace, uh, scattered all around the world, you know, how's God going to begin to work with us and mold us and fashion us into an instrument that he can use? It makes a lot more sense to be in one place where God can work with us and use us. <clears throat> But there are promises of protection by God to his people. As we saw in Revelation 3, they are conditional because you have persevered. Because you persevered, because you've stayed on target. You focused on your mission of preaching the gospel to the world, of warning the world, of being a light and example to the world. Let's go back to uh, Matthew 25 quickly. Another aspect. <clears throat> These are things we need to think about as we go to the feast, as we drive to the feast, as we drive home. <clears throat> We've got a mission to perform. God said this gospel will be preached in all the world. He's going to make it possible. And this is what we need to be praying about, that God would guide us, lead us, protect us, bless us, show us what we need to be doing. Matthew 20. The parable of the ten virgins. It says, five were wise, five were foolish. Now those who were foolish took their lamps, but no oil. Again, the oil being symbolic of God's spirit. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They had an extra supply of God's spirit. But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered. They all kind of went to sleep. Well, nothing's really happening. 
you know, things are happening all over the world right now. You know, the world is not going to be the same in the, you know, the days and months ahead. And at midnight, a cry was heard, and behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. You know, I've been so busy, I haven't prayed in weeks, but I, you know, <laughs> help me out here. You know, we've got to be watching and praying and doing our, our part to stay close to God during these times so that we're ready when these things begin to happen. You know, people that have drifted away and are tending someplace else, doing other things, assuming that God is going to protect them. It may be kind of hard to get back in gear. Well, you know, I've stopped tithing, and it's really kind of hard <laughs> to do that again. I've become accustomed to living on my whole income. You know, it may take me months or years to kind of get ready for this. You know, we may not have months or years. You know, I haven't been able to study because I've been so busy and my mind has been on other things. Will we be caught up short? You know, the parable here is warning about these things. But the wise answered and said, no, lest uh, there should not be enough for us, but go rather and to those who sell and buy uh, for yourselves. What if the stores are closed? What if the banks are closed? You can't get any money. And we need to be thinking. We need to be thinking ahead. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other ones came, and the response is, look, I don't know who you are. We, had, we, you know, we didn't have much contact. Verse 13, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Again, we don't know the exact time, but Jesus did say in Matthew 24, when you see you know, buds coming out on trees, you know spring and summer coming. You know, so you need to be watching. You need to be preparing for these things. <clears throat> We've got a job to do. Let's look at a final scripture in Matthew 28. <clears throat> Matthew 28. This was Jesus' parting message to his disciples. <clears throat> verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is our job baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. God is not going to forsake his church. He's not going to forsake his people. He's not going to forsake you. You know, with Wachovia, <clears throat> the bank that's based here in Charlotte, being absorbed by Wells Fargo, they're going to be cutting jobs. That may affect some of our people. And we need to be praying for each other and asking that God would provide, God would watch over us, watch over his people. Because there are a series of promises that we need to look at. Let's look at a couple of things here quickly. In First um, Corinthians chapter 10. And again, these might be good memory scriptures to put on your refrigerator or on the mirror in the bathroom. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, basically you're able to bear. 
but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Nothing wrong with asking God, God, please make a way of escape. Guide me, open the doors where I need to be, close them where I don't need to be. God, guide me, help me through this trial. And we're not going to get through the next number of years on our own. We're going to need God's guidance. We're going to need God's assistance. We're going to need God's intervention and God's protection. But this is a promise that God makes. He says, I know what you're going through, but you know, what he's saying is, hang in there. You'll get through it. We'll make it possible. Another scripture in Proverbs 16, verse 7. Proverbs 16 and verse 7. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his ways be at peace with him. You know, if we want God's protection, we want God's blessing, we've got to do things that are pleasing in God's sight. Pleasing in God's sight. Then we can look forward to those blessings and look forward to God watching over us and God intervening in our lives in a protective way. When a man or a woman's ways please him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And some of those commandments involve preaching the gospel to the world, doing what we've been given to do, and to do it as powerfully as we can. <clears throat> Another interesting scripture in Second uh, Chronicles 16, verse 9 <clears throat> Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. We'll read the scripture and then we'll look at the context. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. There are other ways of translating that, that last phrase. Uh, to show himself strong to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Or to show himself strong <clears throat> on those who are blameless, who keep the commandments of God. To show himself strong or to completely support those who are fully committed to him. You know, if we want God to intervene and watch over us, then we've got to do our part of being fully committed to God, fully committed to doing his work, fully committed to growing and overcoming and bearing positive fruit. Now, in context, <clears throat> this was a warning to uh, King Asa. Let's notice in verse 7, At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. And then he asks the question. He says, were the Ethiopians and the Lebanon uh, not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, the Lord delivered him into your hands. And then here is the phrase that we, or the verse that we use. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. You, you were trusting not in God, but in, 
and other allies. Therefore, from now on, you will have wars. Now, America is doing the same thing today. We're not trusting in God. We're trusting in the banking system. We're trusting in the Federal Reserve. You know, President Bush says we're going to emerge from this a stronger nation. The Bible has some different things to say. The Bible has some very different things to say. You know, we've been called to be lights, but we've not been the lights that we should have been. And some interesting other scriptures that talk about don't even pray for these people. Don't even pray for these people when God begins to intervene. Because he's going to teach some lessons that are going to be very uncomfortable to learn. What can we do when we are facing some trials and tribulations? Matthew chapter 7. And we'll probably all face some of these things in the not too distant future. Matthew chapter 7. Again, these are fundamental things, but we need to think about them and make them real and internalize these things. In verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened unto them. You know, we need to ask God. God, please guide me. Please open the doors where I need to be, and if they're closing, then help me find another open window (laughs) or another open door. But make God part of the process. You know, I've gotten, I've been had the privilege of being laid off, being fired before. And that is the time when you get on your knees and you ask God to open the doors where I need to be. Show me. Be part of this process. I don't want to do it all by myself. You know, I want you to guide me. I want you to show me. And God will sense if you're sincere and he'll open doors. But again, we've got to endure. We've got to hang on while the doors are not open yet and not give up and jump ship. But we're admonished here to ask and to seek and to knock. Let's notice what happens when we ask and seek and knock. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Now, Peter and John had been put in prison. They got out or they, was, they were at least arrested, given a bad time. They got out. Verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, that is, the congregation, with one accord and said, Lord God, or Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why do the nations rage? And he's quoting here Psalm chapter 2, 1 and 2. Uh Verse 27, truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. God has a plan. He's working out. Now, Lord, look on on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now notice verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. The whole building began to shake at the close of that prayer. 
And God was basically saying, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. The place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say anything that they possessed and so on. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This was an answer to prayer in the first century church. God heard the prayer, shook the building. Mercifully, it didn't fall down. It was just letting them know. <laughs> you know, those of you that have lived in California, you probably lived through a couple of earthquakes and you felt the, you know, the building shake. I remember the first time I was in one. We'd just gotten married and uh, we heard an explosion. We're out in Riverside, California. heard an explosion and I saw the chandelier in the dining room shaking. I said to my wife, what was that? She said, oh, an earthquake. <laughs> and an earthquake. <laughs> You know, they didn't have those in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And shortly after our son, Scott, was born, I think my wife was nursing him in the bedroom about 4 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, the building began to shake. And I started to pray. I said, God, we just had a new baby. We don't want to, we don't want to die right this way. Um, but it didn't stop. I mean, it kept going for, I don't know, a minute or so. And... Uh, when things stopped shaking, we, everybody kind of ran out into the courtyard of the apartment building we lived in, and uh, uh, it was quite an experience. I drove around Pasadena the next morning. Chimneys were toppled, and the cracks, I think, in the building in, of administration there in Pasadena. It was, it was quite an experience going through these things. Fortunately, the buildings uh, held up that we were in at that time. You know, many places around the world, these buildings have just come down whether it's in China or Turkey or different places like that. But here was a case where God answered their prayer, and they spoke boldly because they knew God had heard. They knew God was listening. They knew God had, had was, was, with, with, yeah, was with them. Like Porky Pig. <laughs> but these are exciting. Chapter 18, verse 10. <clears throat> Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, accused of a number of things. <clears throat> the, uh, the Roman soldiers actually had to intervene and get him away from a mob that was going to kill him. And then uh, <clears throat> it says the Lord appeared to him. But notice, notice the context. Paul had just been uh, brought before the Sanhedrin. He was accused. The mob was going to beat him up. The soldiers grabbed him, put him in jail that night, put him in the barracks. And then this is the message he got from God in verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer. He'd just been arrested. Uh, was saved from being beat up by a mob. And, and God says, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. In other words, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a job for you to do. You've got a purpose to fulfill. And basically, you know, I'm going to keep you alive to fulfill that mission. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got a job to do. We've got a purpose to fulfill. And we need to be looking to God to provide the means and show us how to do these things. <clears throat> We need to be looking to God and trusting God. 
asking, seeking, and knocking. Let's notice a couple of other scriptures that we should be able to sink our teeth into and trust in at times like this in uh, Psalm 34, verse 15. Psalm 34, verse 15. These are things to think about as times get difficult. Verse 15 of Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Psalm 119, verse 172 says, All thy commandments are righteousness. So God is going to have his eyes on those who are righteous, not self-righteous, but are striving to live according to the laws of God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. His ears are open to their cry. God, I need your guidance. God, I need your direction. God, I need some help. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His eyes are upon, or his ears are open to their cry. In Nahum, <clears throat> Nahum, and Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. Again, a promise. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. We need to be looking to God, trusting in him. Because he says that is a stronghold, that's something you can hang on to, and I will hear your cry. Let's look at one other New Testament scripture in 2 Timothy 2.19. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. These are things we can look to as things get difficult. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the... uh, That's not what I wanted either. Yeah, that's it. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ depart from iniquity. But God knows his own people. He knows who he's called. He knows who he's working with. You might want to do a Bible study on your own, on faith, because we're going to need faith to get through what's coming in the months and years ahead. You know, in Luke 17, 5, just give you a few scriptures. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, that increase our faith. You know, help us grow. Increase our faith. These are things we can ask for. Paul mentions in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by the hearing of the word. We've gone through a number of promises today, and hopefully those will be encouraging. Faith comes by hearing the word of God explained, realizing that God allowed the Israelites to go through and experience the first three plagues, but then after that, he protected them. He protected them. And so we can hang on when things get a little bit difficult and realize things are going to get better. Ephesians 6.16 talks about taking the shield of faith. You take that shield (laughs) and then you stand behind it. This is what I believe. This is what I believe is going to happen. And that becomes your shield that you hold up. God says his ears are open 
to the cries of the righteous. So you obey God. You keep the Sabbath. You do what God asks you to do. And then you look to God for him to do what he can do for you. Trusting God is extremely important. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. In fact, a number of verses here in in this proverb. Verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words, you put your trust in God, your whole heart. And lean not to your own understanding. Where is America leaning today? To our own understanding. Has the president called for a national day of prayer? No, he called Ben Bernanke. (laughs) And some of these other people. Do something. Abraham Lincoln had a little bit different approach. We're not trusting in God today. We're trusting in ourselves and in our allies, people that we think are our allies. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. God, what do you want me to do? Show me from your word, and he shall direct your paths. Down in verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. See the conditions here? So shall your barns be filled with plenty. Once your barns filled with plenty, then honor God with the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So these are things we can do. Trust God. Strive to grow in faith. Remember the promises God has made. Remember the plan of God. I want to conclude then talking a little bit about rejoicing at the feast. You know, things are going to get difficult. But according to the plan of God, when Christ returns, as we're reminded on the Feast of Trumpets, and Satan is bound and put away on the Day of Atonement, then comes the Feast of Tabernacles. When the government of God is set up on this earth and God actually begins to intervene. Now you're familiar, or should be, with uh, scriptures in Deuteronomy 14 where it says, take your second tithe and go rejoice at the feast. Rejoice at the feast with the tithe that you've saved. That second tithe is to be used basically to go to the feast, to stay at the feast, and come back from the feast. I was asked uh, in one of the congregations I was in recently, well, you know, I said, I, well, I thought the second tithe could only be spent at the feast. Well, you've got to get there, and then you've got to get home. You know, so you have a prerogative of what route you want to take going and what route you want to take coming back. You know, we're to be rejoicing as we do these things. And Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, talks about making the Sabbath a delight. The feast is, you know, a Sabbath, a high Sabbath. The first and the last days are holy days. And they should be delightful times. They should be enjoyable times for you and your family. You know, if you've got younger children, make the feast enjoyable for them. 
Make it enjoyable for them. Make it enjoyable for your wife or your husband. It's to be a delightful time. Let me give you a number of uh, points, just practical things that you can do to make the feast enjoyable, to make it a time of rejoicing. Mr. Ames gave you seven points last time. I'll give you ten. <laughs> but we'll go through them quickly. <clears throat> Point number one, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make your feast spiritual. Strive to make it a spiritual feast. You know, maintain a spiritual focus. You know, I've heard of people going to the feast and then they buy cars at the feast, they buy furniture at the feast for their house. They, I think somebody came to Mexico one year and bought a new house down there. <laughs> well, it was whatever my heart desired. But, you know, they spent uh, in the Mexico situation several days looking at houses. Uh, I think it was probably, yeah, I shouldn't judge, but you know, it was probably a very physical feast, not spiritual. You know, make this feast a spiritual time. Maybe if you don't have a notebook, buy one and take some notes. You're going to become teachers one of these days. And it might be good to you know, take some notes as to what you're hearing because it may not be that long before you're going to have to get up and explain what the feast is all about to somebody. Oh, I should have taken some notes because my brain doesn't work like it used to. Now think about these things, but make it a spiritual feast. Be teachable. Desire to learn. Point number two, renew God's spirit daily at the feast. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 talks about the inward man, the inward person should be renewed daily. Now get up early enough to pray and read the Bible a little bit before you go to services. Well, I'm going to be in services for two hours. Why do I have to read it? Get your mind ready. Get your mind ready. And Christ got up early in the morning before it was daylight and prayed. He focused on God. David did the same thing. Daniel did the same thing. Before you go to bed at night, sit down and think about what did I learn today? What did I learn today? What lesson have I learned today? Talk with your children. Ask them. What lesson did you learn today? What did you enjoy today? Maybe make a list of lessons. Ask God in your prayers to bless the messages, to bless the hearing, the listening, the speaking, the activities, the weather, the travel. It'll be part of the feast. Point number three, don't forsake gathering together. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Basically, don't skip services. And in years, whenever we had the feast in Florida near Disneyland or Bush Gardens, there were generally people that took off a day or so during the feast and went to someplace else. You know, we're at God's feast. How do you think God looks at that? We're missing an opportunity. We're also showing God what we think. Don't forsake gathering yourselves together. Point number four, be friendly. Be friendly. Be the first person to say, hello, how are you? Stick out your hand. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Where are you from? What church do you go to? How long have you been attending church? 
How was your travel to the feast? Now, be engaging to people. Proverbs 18, verse 24 talks about it. If a person wants friends, they need to be friendly. We need to do things. Welcome people. <clears throat> especially if you're from headquarters. Reach out. Let people know. Well, I'm from Charlotte. Come see us sometime. Be engaging that way. <clears throat> Let your light shine that way. Number five, <clears throat> look for ways to serve without being noticed. Look for ways to serve without being noticed. We've had people over the years that have volunteered to speak at the feast. Well, that's the way I serve. God's called me to speak. In one case, the fellow had only been attending with this couple of weeks, but he volunteered to speak at the feast if we were shorthanded. <laughs> you know, look for ways to serve. And if you're looking for ways to serve without being noticed, God will notice. God will notice. Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, strive to become a servant leader, a person that takes the lead in serving. Dr. Meredith has talked about that for years. But it's in the scripture, it's there. Number six, focus on giving a good feast. Focus on giving a good feast. Now in Acts 20, verse 35, it says, more blessed to give than to receive. You know, oftentimes we say, well, have the best feast ever. In other words, you have the best feast ever. But focus on giving someone else the best feast ever. One of the things we did with our boys whenever they were growing up as teenagers, we would buy a dozen corsages, and I'd give six to one of the boys and six to another one. Say, so go find some of the older ladies, the widows, and just walk up and say, here's, here's something to make your feast. Oh, special. And it was interesting watching the smiles on some of their faces and, and watching the, the, the feelings of the boys because they got excited doing that. It was giving something. But look for ways to give. Look for ways to give uh, something at the feast. Give somebody a ride. Give them encouragement. Give them something. <clears throat> the focus on giving a feast. I remember when I first went to Ambassador College, uh, uh, they were promoting this idea of giving a date to someone. I'd never heard that before. It was always, well, did you get a date? What's the matter? I remember one guy came into the dorm one night, called 21 girls, <laughs> trying to get a date. <laughs> now, there may have been reasons <laughs> why he had to call 21 girls. <laughs> but I remember he was at that phone for about an hour. <laughs> <clears throat> but the idea of giving a date as opposed to getting something or giving a feast as opposed to getting the best or having the best feast. <clears throat> Number seven, look for ways to compliment others and to show kindness. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Beginning in verse 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those 
to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. When you could give a compliment, when you could encourage someone, when you could help someone, don't withhold it. Don't say to your neighbor, well, you know, I'm busy right now, come back tomorrow. And tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. Look for ways to compliment. You know, it's encouraging when somebody comes up and says, well, I really appreciate this is what you did or that's what you did or something you said or something you've done or whatever. You know, that really helps uh, <clears throat> lift up people, uplift people, as opposed to criticism. Point number eight, strive to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, at the feast, sometimes we get into traffic jams. Sometimes you get in a store and you're behind 20 people. And some lady can't find the change in her purse and she's digging away. And you've got you know, all kind of people behind her, behind you. It, strive to be a peacemaker. Somebody asks you to sit here or to park over there. You don't have to, I'm from headquarters. I don't park over there. I park over here, whatever. You know, strive to be a peacemaker. Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. In, in uh, Romans 12, verse 18, it talks about dwell, with, dwell peacefully with everyone. Dwell peacefully with everyone. You know, if you're at the feast and somebody in the next room has a TV that they watch until 5 o'clock in the morning... Yeah, don't beat on the wall. <laughs> and you might call the desk and just say, you know, it's difficult sleeping up here. But how we deal with people is going to be important. Number nine, be careful with alcohol and be careful with too much food. Be careful. In Proverbs 23, verse 20, it says, don't mix with gluttons and wine-bibbers. In other words, don't, don't have too much alcohol. I remember the first feast I went to at Jekyll Island years ago. I was invited to somebody's room with another party. We walked into the room, and the uh, little buffet thing that was in their dining room had a better stocked bar than the bar in the establishment. And I thought, what kind of feast is this? <laughs> I mean, it blew me away. It was just uh, other times. I remember going to Squaw Valley. You get there the night before, and you go to the liquor store to get something. Here's half the church <laughs> in there, just loading up bag after bag after bag. And we need to be careful of the example that we sent. You know, it's it's not it's the feast of booths, <laughs> not booze. <laughs> <clears throat> You know, so be considerate of the, of the example that you set. You know, I learned my lesson at the feast. I think I've mentioned this once before. For one of the first feasts I went to at Jekyll Island, I read the scripture about spending your second tithe for whatever your heart desires. And I desired steak and eggs for breakfast, steak for lunch, steak for dinner. We went out for steak after services in the evening. Did that for five days, and I barely made it home. I'm sicker than a dog. And I missed the next work of the next week of school, and you know the, my boss was. I had told him, I said, I've got to get off to go to a religious festival. I came back and I, 
I couldn't come to, to school because I had so abused my body doing what I thought was right. It was just unwise. So be careful. <clears throat> now we're going to be sitting a lot. Make sure you get some exercise. Go easy on the alcohol. Go easy on the food. Uh, but enjoy it. Number 10, we'll summarize everything. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Be a light. Strive to be a light in everything that you do at the feast, the way you deal with people, the way you conduct yourself. We're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20. Ambassadors of Jesus Christ. In a difficult world, in a world that's getting very uncertain and shaky, our challenge is to be lights, examples, stable, focused, positive, trusting in God. And as Mr. Ames mentioned, <clears throat> uh, you know, we're ambassadors too of the living church of God, and especially those of you coming from Charlotte. You know, be positive, be focused, don't be critical, don't be griping. You know, all you have to do is read what happened to the gripers in Exodus, Deuteronomy. They wound up uh, staying in the wilderness. You know, I've really appreciated coming back to Charlotte after living by myself for four years in England and Ireland. I enjoy walking down the halls. I enjoy listening to people laugh and, and just interrelating with people. I find coming to Charlotte a very positive experience. You know, I hope we can all appreciate the blessings and the opportunities as well as the responsibilities that God has given us. Those of us that work here in, in Charlotte, those of you that attend here in Charlotte, but all of us have been called to become part of God's church and called to become part of God's family. It's an incredible calling. Nothing to gripe about, <laughs> nothing to complain about, something to be excited about and thankful for. In conclusion, what do we need to do? To, what do we need to make it through troubled times ahead? We need a knowledge of what and why things are happening today. We need to be focused on the big picture, which is outlined. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 explains what is going to be happening and why it's going to be happening. But also, as we focus on the big picture of the holy days. We've got the Feast of Tabernacles that's coming, picturing this coming kingdom of God. We need to put our faith and trust in God, his promises and his plan, stay focused on fulfilling our mission, and striving to be good Christian examples.